Hello, I'm Pastor Rob Spencer of Church United. We are excited because God is at work in our community of Christ followers. And it is my hope that God works in your life as you listen to this message today. If you'd like more information about Church United, please visit us at churchunited.family. As I said, God is raising up great leaders within the church, um, and we've got an opportunity right now, which I'm really excited about, and you should be excited about it too. We've got some cool stuff coming up this summer that, that we're going to start walking through a series that I'm pretty pumped about. Um, we've talked uh, about bringing up leaders and training leaders, so I'm not going to steal too much of the thunder here because Pastor Robert and I made a little video. I'll let you watch that. It'll do a little explanation, but this morning you're going to hear from uh, two guys, one Jim Henry who I just talked about. He'll be up in a minute. Jim, again, rotating off our leadership team, uh, and uh, Jim, will, Jim will talk a little bit, and you'll get to hear from Jim. Also, Ryan Campbell is with us this morning. Ryan's on staff at Village Church, um, and they're both going to be sharing with us. And don't worry, um, that doesn't mean two Pastor Rob-length messages in a row, okay? These guys are tag-teaming here, but it's going to be fun. We're starting this new series, so watch this video. It'll give you an idea of what the series is about. Well, good morning, Pastor Robert from Village Church. And I'm Pastor Rob Spencer from Church United. We're in a series called Summer Classics. And let's just be honest, some are not so classic. Okay, that's true. But these are stories from Scripture that we're going to be looking at in this series that have messages that we may have missed. Yeah, and one of the things that is exciting about this series is we're going to be hearing from some folks who have been going through our leadership track in our churches, and they're ready to share God's Word with you and what God has been laying on their hearts. Yeah, so get our hands ready. Ready to clap, let's get ready to laugh, let's get ready to be an encouragement to these teachers. It's going to be a great morning learning from God's Word. They didn't tell me about the song and dance that came along with this. Well, I'm up here now, so um, maybe we ought to pray. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for your goodness, and thank you for your love. And I pray that you will um, speak to us through your word and encourage us in all that you call us to do. Amen. Now, I have served as one of the leadership team here at Church Downtown, and that's pretty much uh, my background. And um, but what I'd like to do is let's just get, uh, get started, huh? Romans 8, 28. God um, works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. A while back, I overheard Carissa Knight explaining to some folks how she and Greg became involved with Awasa Hope, the mission in, in Ethiopia. And she said, I once heard uh, someone say that God will put something down next to you to do, and all you have to do is pick it up. And that's what he did. And that's what we did. We picked it up. 
And I can attest that ever since then, hundreds and hundreds of lives have been affected by this ministry. Women uh, experiencing a safer pregnancy, orphans being cared for, children with a hope of an education and, and a brighter future, and entire villages experiencing a clean water source for the first time. And I'm not even beginning to touch on it all. And it's all because when God put something down beside someone, they picked it up and they honored him. And scripture's full of examples of this. Noah, build an ark. Right. And there's David. He picked up a few small, smooth stones. And, and in the name of the Lord Almighty and uh, Goliath, he fell. And I love Joshua. You know, Joshua. On the seventh day, walk around the city seven times and blow your horns real loud. <laughs> and we all know what happened in Jericho, right? But God doesn't always just set huge things down beside us to do. In fact, often they're small things. That's how he gets us started. And uh, you remember the prophet Rob spoke about a month or so ago. He went to the widow and he said, make me a meal. And with what she had left, she made him a meal. And then there's that neighbor who has been ill for a while and his yard is growing longer and louder and it's calling your name. Or that little old lady, a few cars down in the parking lot, she's surrounded by children, having a dickens of a time getting those groceries in the car. Lend a hand. Or it could be vacation Bible school, it could be the next church work day. And I know, I know that every one of us have so many things to do. Legitimate responsibilities and events that we have to attend to. But rest assured that whatever we are doing, God will give us ample opportunity to serve him. He'll just put something down right next to you. And when you pick it up, you're off and running. And sometimes, no matter how daunting it may seem, all you have to do is pick it up, and he'll work out the rest. So if you would, turn to the book of Esther with me this morning, and we'll take a look at one example of someone who picked it up. Um, I often wonder about Esther. It could just as likely have been called the book of Hadassah because it's a wonderful story about a young lady named Hadassah as a child orphaned in a land not her own, raised by her cousin, and then as a young lady taken from her home, probably against her own will. And I say it's a wonderful story because when you see how it all works out in the end, you realize how gracious and generous God is to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Now, Hadassah's journey is one of, of adventure, of daring, of, of wonder. And it reads like, like a modern-day bestseller with, with intrigue and, and hangings and, and assassinations. And, well, you, you probably haven't read it yet or not recently. 
So, so what I'll do is I'm going to summarize some of the backstory for you and bring you up to speed. In the third year of the reign of King Xerxes, the king threw a royal party. And the king got royally drunk. And the queen royally ticked off the king. And the king fired the queen. And the king needed a new queen. So he put into motion a grand search for a new queen. And he brought in, he gathered together women from all over his kingdom, from India to Egypt, to his palace, to be considered as prospects for the throne. And when Hadassah was about to be gathered up with them all, her cousin Mordecai, remember that name, Mordecai cautioned her not to reveal her heritage, that she was Jewish. So she hid that in her heart. And after a four-year search, oh, uh, did I mention that this orphan who uh, was in a land that was not her own was called by the name Esther. And so after four years search Esther found favor in the eyes of the king. She alone was deemed worthy to take the throne. And if you'll turn with me to chapter 2 verse 17 you will see that it says that he, the king set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. And it also says that there were parties and festivities and the giving of gifts with royal liberality. It was a regular holiday and things were looking pretty sweet for this orphan named Hadassah. But life isn't always fair, is it? And I say this because while these events were going on, an evil and ambitious man by the name of Haman, an avid anti-Semite, was rising in the ranks of the kings and nobles. And he was doing such an efficient job of it, he soon became the king's favor, his, his right-hand man. Now just how evil was this Haman? One day, one of the local men insulted him simply by not paying him his due respect. And he thought, well, what a great opportunity. I'll take revenge not only on this individual, but upon the entire nation to whom this man belonged. For Mordecai, that's right, Mordecai was a Jew, and Haman hated Jews. So he took his cause to the king. And in chapter 3, verse 8, you see what he told him. He said, there is a certain king, uh, people dispersed and scattered among the peoples in all the provinces of your kingdom whose customs are different from those of all others. People and who do not obey the king's laws. It's not in the king's best Interest? Who are you kidding, Haman? Come on. You don't care about the king's best interest. You're just ticked off. You're just a, a dirty, rotten, a, a low life. Oh, oh, I get drawn into this story. Uh, so how's that go? He says, you, um, 
What did he say? Ah, here it is. He said it's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. So skip to verse 13. That's where the rubber meets the road. Dispatches were then sent to every province saying, and imagine this, destroy, kill, and annihilate all of the Jews. And he's specific here. Young and old. Women and little children on a single day. And that day was set for the 13th day of the month of Adar, 11 months out. Now, Hadassah is faced with the fact that her husband, the king, has been, he's been co-opted. He's been duped by one of his toadies to place in danger her cousin, her family, her entire nation. In Mordecai, he went to Hadassah, Queen Esther, and he said to her, uh, you need to go to the king and plead with the king for your nation. And uh, she responds in, in chapter 4, verse 11, 30 days have gone by since the king has summoned me. And everyone knew that to appear before the king without first being summoned meant certain death by rule of law. The only exception was if the king held out his scepter and spared their life. Otherwise, it was an immediate uh, summary execution. And so, Hadassah's clearly been put in this place for a reason. God has set something down in front of her to do, and perhaps like many of us at times, she's hesitating. And some would say, with a pretty good reason, but Mordecai didn't leave it at that. He pressed her further with encouragement. He said, verse 13, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that... You have come to royal position for such a time as this. Oh, from orphan to queen, and now the fate of her entire nation rests on her shoulders. It must have seemed like God has placed something in front of her to do that was just oh, too heavy to lift. She picked it up. Hot dog. She picked it up. Go, she said. Gather your people together and fast for me for three days. I and my maidens will do the same. And when it is done, I will... Verse 16. When it is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish... I perish. Oh, you, you have got to read this book for yourself. We don't have time for all of it this morning. So I'm going to tell you what happens, but, but keep in mind, what I share doesn't begin to touch upon the, the delicate intricacies, the, the timing of, of events and how it all works out for this great ending. Oh, but then, well, you know, don't you? You know that things don't work, right? They don't. Things and events, they don't work. 
God works. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So here's what happened. The king could not reverse his edict because of the law. It wouldn't allow him to do it. So he issued another, encouraging the, um, the Jews to gather together and defend themselves. And Haman, Haman was hanged on the very scaffold he built for Mordecai. Oh, and Mordecai was, was placed in a position far greater than Haman ever dreamed of. And on the day of slaughter, the leaders of the land, the nobles, the governors, they all helped the Jews because by that time, uh, Mordecai had risen to such a powerful position in the king's palace, they were afraid of him. Some even converted. And so on the day of annihilation, over 75,000 of the Jews' enemies were slain. And from that time forward, the 13th day of the month of Adar has been celebrated as the time when the Jews were delivered from their enemies. And all because when God put something down, Hadassah picked it up and honored God. We were on the way home from vacation one year with friends, Brad and Gene Scott. And it, it, traffic, 70, 80 miles an hour, uh, bumper to bumper, mostly these huge trucks. And Brad suddenly just pulls out of traffic on the, the skirt of the freeway. And he, we just come shuddering to a stop right behind another car. And, and there they are, these two little old ladies. Made me look young. And they were trying to change the flat tire on their car on the freeway side of the car. And they were terrified with this traffic just four feet away whizzing by. And Brad quickly put them in the car and, and uh, we made quick work of that flat tire because we were terrified. And uh, then we had a, a few minutes to spend with these ladies and we wished them well. We prayed for them that God would give them a safe remainder of the journey and now what amazes me most when I look back at that event is how in the world did old one-eyed Wayne even see their distress oh I'm sorry I, Brad when he was a teen he he lost an eye and in his middle name's Wayne so well you know I didn't even see that car at all until we pulled off behind it. But you know what? Brad would not be denied. He always kept his eyes, uh, eye peeled for opportunities to serve God. What has he put down beside me that I can pick up? And I say all this to say this. Sometimes it's so easy. To become that deer that is caught in the headlights. Just frozen. Not making that decision. Oh, what is it that God wants me to do? Oh, I just can't get... What are we waiting for? That booming voice. Jimbo. Thus saith the Lord. When all he really wants us to do is to see that thing. 
He's already sat down beside us. And pick it up. Change that flat tire. Oh, help that little old lady for Pete's sake. Or lend a hand to your neighbor. And maybe it's time to take that much put off trip to Ethiopia. And if I perish, I perish. Pick it up. Who knows what God will do with that? After all, we all know that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for every opportunity that you give us to serve because it's not just because you need us it's because those are the opportunities where you know we will grow the most we will be enriched the most so Lord encourage us and give us courage to pick up those things that you set down beside us Amen. All right, so for all of you who don't know me, my name is Ryan Campbell. I'm the director of family ministry out at Village Church, and I just want to say thank you, Rob, for letting me come and steal your stage for a couple minutes here. Now, as uh, Rob said earlier, we're going to be going over some summer classics, and the story that I chose, it's one that I remember as a little child. I remember it very well. It's Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Now, the reason I remember this story so well is when I was about five or six years old, my great-grandmother had, I guess it was probably five or six of us in her little classroom, and she would have us sing this song whenever she taught the story. Joshua and the battle of Jericho, Jericho, Jericho. Joshua and the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. I see the motions, thank you so much. <laughs> now, I love this song for two reasons. One, she got all of the kids up, and I think there were also two reasons for this. You know, five, six-year-old boys were wild and crazy. But we also got up, and as we're singing this song, we had walked around the little table that she had. And the best part of this whole song, when the walls came tumbling down, she allowed us to take those chairs and flip them over. And that was so much fun for me. And, I mean, that, that's probably the reason I remember that song so well, too. But although that song does cover the majority of like the essence of that story, there's so much more to it. And we're going to see this in Joshua chapters 2 through 6 today. So it begins with the people of Israel camping out on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. Now, many of you don't know, and if you're like me, uh, I like to go really deep and look, especially in this sort of narrative history, into the geography of the land, because it makes so much more sense. Now, Jericho sits in the foothills of the Central Mountain Range, and I should have a picture up here, uh, maybe? Well, anyways, so, there it is. Okay, now, I, I like, this is my beautiful little art from Google Earth. So what we see here is Jericho is in this flat plain. And if you look just three miles away from Jericho, you can see the Jordan River. Now, 
On the other side of the Jordan River, there are some mountains. The people of Israel at this time numbered around 2.5 million people. 2.5 million. If you're in Jericho and there are 2.5 million people three to five miles away from you, you know they're there. Um, for a reference, it'd be from here to about advanced auto zone or auto parts on the other side and on Richmond Road. That's how far away they were. Not far at all. Now, Joshua, being the astute military commander that he was, decided before we're going to move into this land that God has promised us, I'm going to send two scouts to figure out what is going on in Jericho so I can see how many people they have, what they're feeling like, I mean, all these different things. So he sends these two people. And if you can see the beautiful little yellow line that I drew on there, um, you can see everybody coming from that way. And the people of Jericho know that that whole camp is picking up and getting ready to move. They're watching on those mountains to see who is coming down towards them. So it comes as no surprise whatsoever that those two spies, when they got into the land of Jericho and they got into the city of Jericho, they were quickly discovered. Now, they were discovered at Rahab's house. Rahab was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. And if you're going to scout someplace, in today's world, the first place that you would go would probably be to a bar. You hear what people are saying. You find out what's going on. Well, at that time, they would go to the local prostitute's house. Now, when questioned, Rahab told the soldiers that were looking for these scouts that they had already left, that they left right before those men showed up. Next slide. After the guards left, this is what she uh, told the men. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone in this land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Joshua 2, 9 through 11. Rahab knew that when the people of Israel came across and they attacked Jericho, that Jericho was going to be destroyed. And so what she asked is, when you come, please, 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 spare me and my family just as I have spared you. And the two spies agreed to that. What they did is Rahab let them out of the city, and they went back to Joshua, and they reported to him, the Lord has handed over the entire land to us. Everyone in the land is also panicking because of us. Joshua 2.24. Now, shortly after the spies returned, the entire nation of Israel picked up, and they started moving into the land. 2.5 million people came down that little hill into the Jordan, or to the Jordan River, which at this time of year was flooding. Massive, massive floods. 
And I'm not sure if anyone here has ever seen a river that's overflowing its banks. Um, out in Churchville, we've actually had to cancel a few services in the past years because the river that we do, or that we, ah, in the summertime, we're outside. Sorry, start with that. But if we get heavy rains, that entire field that we meet in on Sunday mornings floods. So we've had to cancel it because it overflows the banks. And this is what the people of Israel are facing when they get to the Jordan River. So what Joshua tells them to do is take the Ark of the Covenant, which is the physical manifestation of the resting place of God on earth. You take that and priest, I want you to walk into that river. And as soon as they stepped into that river, 18 miles up, the water stopped. It's like a force field. It came right down and stopped that water. And the water started to pile up. Now, once again, from Jericho, you can see this happening. You can see 18 miles up, that water's just building up and up and up. And that 2.5 million people, they're coming across. And they're coming for you. And I'm sure that everybody in that city was on that wall watching, terrified. Now, as soon as they got across, what happened was they camped for about a week or so, about a mile and a half, two miles away from Jericho, scaring them even more. But during this time, they consecrated themselves and set themselves apart for God. And during this time, Joshua got how exactly he was going to do this battle. Now, God told him, that for six days you're going to walk around that city once with a bunch of soldiers, priests, a whole bunch of soldiers, and you're not going to make a single sound the entire time you're marching around that city. You're going to march around at one time for six days in a row. But on the seventh day, you're going to march around it seven times, and on the seventh time, all the priests are going to blow their horns, and you are going to yell as loud as you can, and I will deliver the city to you. So this is what happened. Next slide. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house, and bring her out, along with all of her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brother, and all those other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it, only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. Joshua 6, 20-25. Now there are two main points that we can get from this whole story. And the first point that I drew out of this was that God has a plan. God has a plan. And that is extremely comforting to me. Because we see throughout this whole story that God is moving things along. Where the people of Israel, they came out of Egypt. They went up into the desert. They watered there for 40 years. 
But when they came across into the land, he stopped the river. He let them go across, and God tore the walls of Jericho down. God has a plan. The God that created the universe, who spoke it into being, is the same God who has a plan for you and for me. And we see that there is a continuation of this plan as well. God set this in motion, and years and years later, what came to happen was that a king was named, King David. And we'll hear more about King David in the weeks to come. But what is amazing to us is when we look into who King David's ancestors were, we see someone else. And that brings us to our second point, that God can and will use anyone in his plan. And we see the truth of this in the person of Rahab, who was a Gentile, who was an enemy of the people of God. She was a prostitute. But yet, God was able to use her in the line of the kings, and then furthermore in the line of the Messiah, who would save the entire world. We see this in Matthew chapter 1 which reads, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Just as a side note, I apologize if I mess up these names. So, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers. Judah followed Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz by Ruth by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered King David. If God is able to take someone who is the lowest of the low, who is a prostitute, who is an enemy of his people, what's he able to do for me and you? I mean... For me, that, that's such an amazing comfort. and It just blows my mind that God is able to use me in his plan. He's able to work through me. And just as Rahab was rescued from the city of Jericho and the destruction of everything in it, Jesus has given us the ability to be rescued. Just as Joshua sent two spies in there, and those two spies later went and brought her out, God sent Jesus down to earth. And because of what he did on the cross for me, and for you, and for everyone, we are able to be rescued and pulled out of our lives of sin. Now, I'm not sure if there's anyone here who doesn't have a personal relationship with Christ. But if you don't, I encourage you, come talk to me, talk to Rob, one of the elders, go back to their prayer area there. Someone wants to talk to you. Someone wants to explain this more to you. If you are a Christian, what is God putting before you? As Jim said, what is God putting down beside you that you can pick up? How does he want to use you in his plan? How does he want to work through you in his plan? 
if you don't think that God can use you because of the stuff that you've done in the past, I assure you, you look through the Bible, you're going to see some crazy people that God used in amazing ways. The Apostle Paul, he was sent out to kill Jews, to slaughter them. We saw Rahab, a prostitute. When you look at King David, and you look at, like, historically, if you would compare him to other people, he was a warlord. But yet, he's a man after God's own heart because whenever he messed up, he came back to God. So, in your lives, what have you done that's even halfway as bad as some of these people? God can forgive anything, and he can use anyone, and he wants to do it.